Well, I'm back. Uh, thanks everybody for all of your support. Um, so, uh, well, just a couple things. So this one today was so hard for me. If you listened to my last podcast, I had mentioned that, you know, it's just been so hard for me to, um, do these, uh, do these reports, I guess, or these podcasts on these, um, cases of child abuse, particularly the child abuse. Those are the ones that get to me the, the most. And, um, the one I'm going to talk about today, that's, uh, Trudy Chase, her story and her book. Her book is called When Rabbit Howls. And, um, anyway, I, I did read her book took me a long time. I don't normally take that long to read through a book, but I'll explain to you. There's two reasons why it, it was hard for me, and I'll explain that in a minute. But um, before I do begin talking about this, I have a couple things that I want to say. And the first is that if you or someone you care about, if you suspect is suffering from domestic violence, you can call the domestic violence hotline, and I'll put that in the description. So you'll have that phone number. And um, the other thing is that I'm going to try to be gentle with this. There may be trigger warnings. It definitely triggered me, and that's what made it so hard. But um, I will tell you this beforehand as I go into it, that the abuse that was described in this book is the most horrendous things that I have ever, ever read or heard about in my entire life and it was difficult for me to read you know on an emotional level and also on another level which is the other thing that I'm going to explain in a moment so Judy Chase she wrote the book When Rabbit Howls and um, her story so she remembers being abused well Okay, so in the book, the opening is by her her uh, psychologist. So she did go through psychology, and basically what happened was she was so badly abused, both mentally, physically, emotionally, um, by her stepfather. It was her stepfather that did these things to her. And she had no support from her mother, no nurturing. They, she was not a... Um, an affectionate woman and so she didn't get any affection from her mother but then her mother was also abusive as well and so what happened with Trudy was she ended up developing dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder and according to uh, her her therapist or her psychologist um, she had over 92 different voices or personalities within her living within her and rabbit is one of those personalities, which I'm going to talk about a, a little bit about that as well. So as I go through this and um, explain some of the things that happened to her, um, I made a very conscious decision not to be too explicit because um, I don't really know who's listening to my podcasts for one thing. Um, I'm assuming and I'm hoping that the people who listen to these are people who want to be more aware of child abuse and domestic violence because that's my purpose. But knowing that there are people out there who have a, a sick pre-whatever um, with 
things that people do to children, I have decided to keep my descriptions vague, okay? And um, in actuality, when it's described in the book by her personalities, it's the child personalities that actually are describing the events that happened to her. So they're, they're presented or, or relayed in a way in a child's language. And so, for instance, her child personalities did not have words for certain body parts. So she, they used innocent terminology. Um, and the description of, of certain events were described from a child's perspective. And that was one of the reasons why it was another reason why it was difficult for me to read it because there were certain things that I was reading and I'm like, what is she talking about? And I had to go back and read it again and realize that, you know, this personality may only be like four or five, six years old and doesn't understand the adult way of explaining things or, or, you know, the biological things that are happening. And so um, the descriptions are coming through in a child in a childlike way um, and you had to kind of read between the lines or try to figure out what this this child personality is describing from a child's perspective um, so you know those were the difficulties that I had and then of course when I realized how bad some of it was it was just like I can't read this right now it took me a long time to read this book long for me anyway um so her memories go back to, um, she thinks it started when she was two with the stepfather and, um, she, he was, he was doing different things. He was always after her, always, um, finding ways to be alone with her and do things to her. Um, but it did come out later on in the book that the mother knew about these things. There was one incident where he did something to her. And this is one of those passages that I had to read several times to understand. But he did something to her, which almost killed her. She was choking to death. And you can let your imagination run wild with that. But she was small enough that, that she had to be helped to get up on, on the table. So she's on a t kitchen table. You know, and I guess that's where they put her to keep her from, from choking to get death. And then when this event was over, her mother beat her so badly and traumatized her and blamed her, this little child, for what this man had done to her. And so these things went on continuously. Her mother would call her derogatory names um, and just never really rescued her from this person who was so badly abusing her. And he had... Um, just terrible he you know he played mind games with her as well so he would say you know if you tell anybody they're going to take you away which to be honest with you given the time frame that this happened that was probably true so yeah let me explain that to you as well this woman she died in 2010 she was 70 years old so she was in the age range of my parents and I know when um this is an example. So when I was in high school, there was a girl who was being molested by her father. Everybody in the neighborhood knew about it. And um, she was the one that was removed from the home. 
there were some other things going on because I, uh, at least at the time, um, her parents didn't split up, but you know, so her mother wasn't protecting her, but the, yeah, they took her out of the home and they put her in a house near our school where they usually place delinquent children. Now, why they did that, I don't know. You know, I've never really talked to this girl about, um, the specifics of her case and I don't want to say her name either because I know that some people that I know listen to these podcasts and I it's not her story is not my story to tell so I want to respect her privacy but they did that's what they did and this was in the 70s before 1980 I know that it was before 1980 so they removed this girl from her home and this probably would have happened to Trudy Chase had the authorities ever been notified of the things that were happening to her. She probably would have been removed. But that's a scare tactic, you know, even though I can tell you, you know, as a child, even though you're in a bad situation, it's the only security that you know, even if it's not secure. You know, it's the only when your home is, it's like a natural thing, I guess, that um, you, you associate your home with some kind of security there's familiarity there there's a roof over your head you know pretty much where you're getting your meals and and whatever kind of care that you are getting you know where it's coming from and unless I I don't know I just I know I understand that um threat to your security and that you know you're going to go off with a foster family and not or in a orphanage or whatever and you don't know what's going to happen to you after that. Or at least, even if you know you're going to be beaten, at least you know you're going to be beaten. <laughs> and you know who's going to do it. I mean, that's really a sick way of thinking. But that's that's the thought of a child that's in a situation like that. So that's why that was so significant. And so a threat um, that they used to control her and manipulate her. But he would... Um, like, even when she was going to the bathroom, he had some way of watching her, you know, using the bathroom. And, um, you know, he would just come to her and, or, you know, have him come to her and do things that he, he wanted her to do. And um, one of the things, you know, she had very, very low self-esteem. She, she felt like, she was guilty. She felt dirty. She, you know, she felt like a lot of this was her fault. And there was two things that happened to her that kind of, you know, um, validated her in her mind, her feelings of guilt and, um, her, you know, worth, you know, how bad she felt about herself and um, what was happening was, you know, when he was uh, uh, molesting her, you know, her body was responding, it was a normal response, even though she didn't particularly want those things to happen, her body was responding um, as a body would respond to that kind of stimulation. And so she felt guilty about that. And then, and this is where... The relevance of her mother's lack of affection, the only affection that this girl was getting was this sick and twisted and perverted affection that she was getting from her stepfather. So eventually she started um, pursuing and, and knowing that it was wrong, 
that also added to her feelings of guilt and self-worth and, you know, the things that made her feel so bad. But he, he did other things, too. I just want to touch on it. He, you know, he was doing things to the animals in the household. They lived on, on two different farms. So there was, there was, you know, dogs. They didn't mention anything about cats. But there was typical farm animals there. And so she was exposed to farm life. And he was doing things to the livestock in front of her and with her. I'll just put it that way. And then with the uh, dogs. And then he would, I guess the dogs became conditioned to what was going on. And the dogs would start pursuing. And he would just um, project his cruelty onto these animals as well. And, um, I want to, it, it only came out one time, but I want to touch on one other aspect because it didn't really go into this, but you know, there's always more than what meets the eye in a story. And there were, her mother apparently had some sort of a creative side to her. And so she invited, um, a professional man to talk about her writing. I believe she was a writer. Um, to talk about her writing and he came to the house and they had an evening at home uh, you know like a dinner or something and the stepfather was very very resentful that this man was in his house and was not as cordial as he probably should have been and so on and so when the man left he severely beat um, Trudy's mother to the point where she was incapacitated for several days and then um, of course the next day um, everybody had to cater to this woman because she was, you know, beaten up and they had to feed her and it took her a while to get herself pulled back together. And I think that this is really important to point out, even though it's not made an issue in the book, um, there's this particular instance where he beat the, the wife. I have a feeling that that probably was not an isolated event. It may have been the worst event, but I have a feeling that that man was abusing the the wife. And um, Trudy also had two half-siblings, a boy and a girl. She doesn't really talk about the girl, her half-sister much, but um, she, she did mention her and her troops. She calls them the troops, all the different personalities did talk about a time when the stepfather was also molesting her half-brother. So that there's another person in the family that he's abused in one way or another. So we have a family of three children, two adults, and definitely out of the four people who are supposedly under this man's care, we'll just say um, three of them are being abused. Um, but... Anyway, she, um, Trudy, uh, wrote her book and, um, one of the things that she did while this was going on is when she finally found a therapist that would help her, um, she asked them to tape her sessions. So they did video and audio tapes and, um, she, she wanted people to be aware of how bad this was and the effect that it would have on, on people. And supposedly, um, they were sharing these tapes with 
people, professional people who would need to know about that. So people in the mental health community. Also, I know that some law enforcement people were um, watching these, which is relevant, you know, to recognize signs of abuse. Um, and also, I'm thinking signs of mental health. I know there was a, a, a police officer that was also involved in her case um, because at one point, uh, Trudy kind of disappeared for a while and the police officer finally found her. One of the things that I think is really interesting about this woman, though, is that, you know, it was interesting. She was very, um, she was, she was pretty successful in her, her career. Um, she, she did real estate and then later on she did, she was creative. That's one of the things that apparently it is, um, common with people with DID is there's a creative side to them. Um, but she also did illustrations for some children's literature of some sort. Um, and the things that she was doing in the real estate business, from what I gathered, had, you know, it was putting her a woman in a man's world, which, you know, in the 70s, that was just starting to happen. It was a challenge for women. Um, and yet she was doing very well, and she was talking and having conversations with contractors and builders and things like this. So she really was in a man's world. Excuse me one second. <coughs> Sorry about that cough. Um, and this is attributed to um, some of the various personalities that were able to come out and function when she wasn't necessarily able to. Um, so, she, you know, her her personalities were pretty good at um keeping her life manageable to the outside world I'm going to say because on the inside world she was married and she had a, a child and um she ended up leaving her husband he had a hard time accepting her diagnosis um which even today I think is still not fully um widely accepted it within even within the mental health community there's some criticism to it but um she let him have their daughter because she wasn't sure at least at the time she wasn't sure that you know she wouldn't hurt her daughter she just wasn't sure because you know she had trouble keeping track of time there would be um periods like you know if you've watched Sybil and some of the other um, movies and stories about people who suffer from this, they don't always know what happened, and it could be a, a you know fairly long period of time um, to not know what you've been doing and you know where you are and things like that. But you know there were other things that happened in her life, like she says she never cleaned house, and yet her house was always clean, and she had plants that she never watered, and yet her plants were thriving. So she, you know she had personalities that did things like this for her. And, um, you know, at night when she'd be getting ready for the next day and she'd lay out her clothes that she was going to wear, you know, the next day. And then she'd wake up and something else would be laid out. Uh, you know, so it was just, um, it was very interesting, you know, from a, I'm going to say clinical level, although I'm not, you know, I'm not a clinician. Um, but to learn about this, this disorder that people have. 
and the big why is because of this abuse. And one of the things that I did learn while I was reading this is that people who tend to get the dissociative identity disorder usually have some sort of a history with sexual abuse and it happens very young when their personalities, they're still developing their personalities, which is something I didn't know before. So that that's something that I learned while I was studying this and um, learning about her case. I didn't just read the book either. I did look up some things about her online and, and found out some things. So in the end, you know, they usually with these people with these types of disorder, they try to integrate, I believe is the word they use to make all the personalities come together. And um, her and her personalities decided that to do that would be like committing murder to decide who could um, become part of the whole person, for lack of a better explanation. And so they decided not to integrate. Um, they just found a way to work together. And I want to talk about Rabbit. Um, you know, the name of the book is When Rabbit Howls. Rabbit is actually the name of one of her personalities. And like I, I had said, you know, she's got almost a hundred of them. Some of them are children. And, um, you know, she's got some that are very protective and some that are, there's one Miss Wonderful who, you know, she's the person who is charismatic. She has um, some that are male, some that, you know, t help the children, personalities, the child, the young little personalities. Um, tell some bedtime stories and all these different things. But um, Rabbit, who is a child, is the one that feels all the pain, all the physical pain. Um, and Rabbit doesn't speak. Rabbit only howls. And what is so interesting about this, and I learned this too, I didn't, and I even raised rabbits when I was a kid and I didn't know this. I've heard rabbits make noise, but rabbits apparently don't have a vocal cord. But if you've ever heard a terrified rabbit, they do. They let out this horrible, horrible scream. And um, you can look that up on YouTube. Most of the ones that I found, it's because it's been a while since I've heard a rabbit do that. Most of the ones that um, are on YouTube are, are babies. They just kind of squeal. I found one that was an adult rabbit. And it really did. It sounded like a human wailing. Like... I don't know, I think they meant it to be funny, but, you know, from the context that I was listening to this, it's that gut-wrenching wail, wailing sound when the most horrible thing that you can ever imagine happening actually happens. That's what this sounded like to me. So when Rabbit howls, it's that, that's what this means. This Just the pain is so great that that's the only sound that you can make. And, um... I guess I'll, I will tell you this. Rabbit. God, this is awful. When she finally recognized Rabbit, she couldn't figure out why Rabbit was sticky. She knew it was a child. And, you know, she, there was some kind of physical contact between herself and this personality, Rabbit. And Rabbit felt sticky to her. And the reason why is because rabbit had no skin so rabbit rabbit is in a constant state of pain in her 
and her personality. I know that's horrible. Isn't that horrible? Anyway, that's probably the most graphic thing I'm going to say. Um, she, uh, well, like I said, she passed away. She has, there is a website and I believe her daughter is managing the website now. Well, I don't even know if they're still actively managing it, but she's written some other books. Um, I haven't read. I don't know if I'm going to or not. I, I really just started out looking for subject matter for this podcast when I came upon it and didn't know that I was going to go down this. Oh, I don't want to say that word. I was going to say down this rabbit hole, but down this horrible trip, down this person's psyche um, to learn about her past and that it was going to affect me. So, but anyway, it, it was a good book. Um, it was a bestseller at one time and, uh, I recommend it if you get affect the, the sound of the quality. Um, so I, I bought it on Amazon. I don't remember what I paid for it. It wasn't that expensive. I got a paperback book and it's called When Rabbit House. Um, by the Troops for Trudy Case, Introduction and Epilogue by Robert A. Phillips, Jr., Ph.D. It's definitely difficult to read, but worth it if you want to know more about her story. Thank you so much for listening. Please stay safe, and God bless. I'll talk to you again. Bye.